I'm with Johanna J. Lunn in the realm of death and dreaming is the feature film winner of best feature at the Wild Sound Film Festival, uh, a film about what happens when you die, I guess it's a huge topic and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the subtext also Joanna is also about kind of like bringing death to the conversation and sort of the mainstream world we, we tend to ignore it, especially in the Western world. So I guess your film and your kind of themes are just kind of like, let's have a conversation about it more often than we do, I guess, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that the the whole purpose of getting into making this film, which is actually turned into a couple of films here, uh, is to just open up the conversation of death and dying. And it is the thing that most of us are terrified of. And culturally, we have no idea how to talk about it or relate to grieving people or, or all kinds of things like that. So the idea was just to normalize the conversation. You know, this crazy study was done in the UK looking at people who'd grown up in families uh, where death was talked about as they were growing up. And then looking at families, you know, where, where children uh, never, never heard the word death, didn't, didn't participate, didn't happen over the dinner table, anything like that. Uh, they must not have known anyone who died. And they found actually that the people who grew up in a household where um, death and dying was not a taboo subject were funnier than people who grew up in houses where death was a taboo subject. So I guess you could say that does sort of tend to point that making death part of everyday life might make you a more funny person, but also maybe a more well-rounded person. Well, I, I guess it's about, it's a fear. We are all, I guess most of us at least are, are afraid of dying. So nobody wants to talk about our fears, I guess, right? That's exactly it, yeah. So, okay, so tell me about, okay, so you, like you said, you just referenced that you have this film, you have two others on the, on the are, they, are the other two, the two others already made or they're, they're, in the, they're in the process of being made? Uh, the second one is we're just going into final mixes now. Wow, okay, then it's called whenyoudie.org. People can go to your website and they can check it out. And I guess your agenda is you just want people to, to watch, see your films, I guess, right? Watch absolutely, your- absolutely, yeah. Is and talk about any- it. <laughs> have you, yeah, have you, have you had any like kickback? Like anybody is like uh, railed against you? Any any negativity? I'm just curious about that. No, I haven't gotten any none, no negativity whatsoever. No, if anything, it's it's people are really grateful. The first film, you know, in the realm of death and dreaming, asks what I I consider this the sexy side of death. Right? Does consciousness continue? after death. So what happens? And I think that's something that, you know, even from being a young kid, uh, you know, you kind of wonder about those things, what, what, what happens after. So being able to talk to people who have spent their careers at the bedside or studying consciousness, um, a lot of stories, and they're fantastic in a way, you know, in, in that fantastical sense that uh, people have had near-death experiences, um, and they've in, in, in those near-death experiences had transcendent experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have uh, watched a loved one, you know, been at the deathbed and watched their loved one talk to someone who's passed away as if they were there in the room. So you kind of go, well, what is what is that about? You know, what does that indicate? Where is that, where does that lead to? So so I think the first one is really um 
a fascinating way to sort of get into the depth subject because like, well, what does happen? What does it mean to be a human being? You know, what, what does it mean? How do we want to be cared for at the end of life? I think that for me, that's why you ask that question is, you know, how do you want to live? How do you want to die? You know, if, if you believe that this is it lights out, you're done, then does that change the way you're going to live your life day to day? Or if you think that there's some kind of continuity Um, And, you know, whatever that might be, reincarnation, heaven, whatever, there's lots of different, you know, cultural and religious beliefs around that. Does that change how you want to live? Does it change how you want to die? So I think um, this one was, uh, you know, for me, I really love this subject because there's no definitive answer. So you just have to come to your own conclusions. And obviously certain organizations or religions or cults uh, have, you know, made a lot of money trying to, trying to come up with their own conclusions to that question that you have, I guess. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't get into the subject of religion. No, of course not. No, but I'm saying that. But I would, but I would say it's a very spiritual topic. Yeah, it (laughs) is. Yeah. No, at the same time, it's like, what you do is that, like we'll we'll get to the making of your film in a second, but what you do is that you it's almost like you tell you talk about a lot the science and the and the spirituality and the logic to that question. That's your that's your thesis question in your film. And it's like, and then how do we answer that? We can't answer the question, but how do we like how do people have their theories, I guess? And like kind of like theories without being flaky, like they, they have backup to their theories, right? And so and you have a scientist and you have you have, like I said, you have spiritualists and you have, like you said, you have people on the front lines who've seen it time and time again. And their conclusions, you know, leave a lot of more questions, I guess, but they also kind of lead some, leave, have some answers as well, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to say, all the people I interviewed around this are highly educated medical doctors, PhDs. I mean, these are, these are just, you know, in, in the world of healthcare and science, they're, they're elite people, if you will. Um, So in that sense of of being really credible, I mean, we all have heard lots of stories. I mean, I have anyway, partly because I think I have a fascination for this kind of thing from, um, you know, more everyday kind of people, but they're easier to question their validity, Mm -hmm. you know, so by by going to people that, you know, have really got a lot of, um, you know, degrees to back them yeah. up and publications and all that stuff. Then you go, oh, okay, well. They're, they're spending in. their lives trying to answer the question that you are concluding in the, in the film, I guess, right? So yeah. let, let's talk. Okay, so what's your background before you made this film? What's your background in the film, like in making movies? Okay. Uh, well, I have spent my career in film and television. Okay. Um, first, uh, uh, in I started a children's film festival here in Canada that was the first competitive international children's festival in North America. Um, and from there, I, I have a film background. I've, I actually helped to launch a PBS station in the U.S., um, and then I was uh, artistic director of the Atlantic Film Festival here in the Maritimes in Canada. Um, and that was a great way to bridge across, you know, from Canada, North America to Europe and made a lot of strategic partnerships for filmmaking and co-productions and things like that. And from there, I went on to work for um, a major broadcaster, sort of like the NBC of Canada, if you will, CTV. Um, heading up their independent production um, development studio 
for the East, Eastern Canada. And that's where I developed a lot of documentaries and series and comedy series. And we used to do movies and a lot of things like that. Um, and it's where I really, really, really um, honed my love of documentary. And then I went on to launch IFC, the Independent Film Channel in Canada. And so that was a lot of a lot of fun. And then probably too soon, I left my day job and started my own production company. And so I've I've been making principally documentaries um, uh, ever since. And that is been ten years. Okay. So you, so as they say in the film industry, you, you got some game, you, you understand storytelling, you understand how to make movies, I guess, which, which is shown in your film. It's a really high production value. So let's talk about the making of your film. So it's 52 minutes. It's got, it's, it's sprouts with, like you said, your thesis statement. It's got some great interviews with it. Really nicely, nice uh, production design, nicely shot interviews, got some nice skies and some B-roll footage. So what is your, how, how do you make this documentary? And do you write a script? Is it like you write like a full script and like, okay, these are the bullet points of what I want to say. And then I'm going to interview people kind of like, hopefully they'll kind of conclude my, my script or what do you already kind of, or is it more looser than that where you kind of go in, interview people and then you go like, okay, what's the movie after I interview these people? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I first have to just say, I started out to make one movie. Okay. Right. And you made three. Okay. Yeah, and it and it turned into three, and those probably an epilogue. And I keep saying, you know, after this, I'm going to do something on micro distilleries around the world or something like that, because you know, <laughs> spending this huge chunk of time on death and dying um, has been an absolute privilege. But it became a much bigger project than I had imagined, and I wouldn't do it any other way for sure. But it it did mean that that not only are there these films, but we've got a really rich website, tons of resources and materials. There's, you know, we also have our own little yes. podcast and, uh, you know, and, and a pretty rich um, social media presence. So um, it, it really became a, a much, much bigger thing. So when I first entered into it, I had an idea of, you know, what I wanted to cover. I don't go at it and I never have. Uh, from the point of view that I know what the story is and now I'm going to go shoot it. Okay. I, I, you know, there are documentaries you can structure that way. And that's a little different than the, the kind of thing that I'm really passionate about. Um, so I, I went into knowing kind of the area, but then what I really got into, what I realized was that it, it's a very, very rich subject, mm -hmm. you know? So we kind of breaking it into, well, what happens when you die preparing for death? And then, you know, what does death actually look like? And then the grief project, grief journey. So it's like, those are four big elements. Yeah. And each, each film is kind of one, one chunk of those. So I, I knew what I wanted to explore. I just didn't know it would take that much did you, <laughs> so to, explore to, go, it. to go back to what you were talking about is it did you think you're just going to make one one feature film with with all yeah. those topics and then yeah and then you're in and then it just expanded and, and expanded i guess for you yeah it was just a uh, there was just so much more there than i realized and yeah. i was also meeting people who had amazing things to say you know just just it, it really opened up a whole world yeah. um that, that I felt like we really are not talking about this. 
Like yeah. we really are not talking about it. So there's so much life inside this subject called death. Mm. And so I, uh, uh, yeah, that became a bigger, bigger project. So I, that's how I went into it. And then, so yeah, I shot a bunch of interviews over a period of time, partly because I didn't want to go in with a fixed idea of what I was shooting. Um, it meant that I wanted a lot of freedom to discover what the story might be, which meant that I actually turned down money because, you know, I didn't want to partner with a broadcaster or another big film organization because they had a film they wanted me to make. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. The way that this got made was um, we also, my company has a, had a little side gig before COVID of doing live stream, big international live stream events, you know, so we'd be at the UN Vienna doing a thing, or we would be up in, in Holland doing something on education and ecology, or in LA or Toronto, or, you know, went all over and did these really big um, multi-camera shoots with multiple translations and all that stuff. So that paid the bills. And so wherever we went, it was like, well, who's here? that I want to talk to <laughs> because oh, okay. we'd have the plane ticket, we'd have the crew, you know, we'd, so we're just adding a couple of days to the trip and that we could make that work. So that's the way just about all the interviews were shot. But it's one of those things where, where like you wanted, you have to, you, there's gotta be an ending, right? <laughs> you, you got, because you can go into this and you can dig deeper, you can dig deeper, interview more people. But then you're just like, then it's going to be 10 years have gone by and you're still haven't finished your film or you, you want to know that like you, there's got to be an end point to what you're doing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, really, just before COVID hit, I, it was like it was really clear what I had, you know, and, and I think in that last year or so I, I picked up, you know, a couple of interviews that helped to round things out Um and yeah, I, I didn't want it to go on forever. Believe me, I, yeah. I still don't. <laughs> but I feel deeply committed to the material and obligated to bring it um, to the best conclusion possible, you know, and to the broadest audience possible. Uh, so, so yeah. So just before COVID, it was you know I kind of knew like all right, we're we're, we're done. Like we I knew that I couldn't do certain things, you know, I kind of, I, I had a good um, offering of material again, it's like we, that we really weren't talking about. We really wasn't in the popular discourse at all around death and dying. And so at that point we were editing. I mean, I'd done some editing all along. I'd always gone in and done my selects, always gone in and, you know, had things sort of lined up. I kind of, you know, I knew what I had, um, but then during or just, you know, that year before COVID hit, um, really started to settle down into, into editing. And when COVID, we were in lockdown, we were editing. Yeah, it's the perfect time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, in that way, it was really great because at that point, there were no live stream events. There still aren't. That part of the business is, done, is, is totally dead. Yeah. Well, people do Zoom now. Yeah. Right. They zoom all these events and you can do some multi-camera, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there will someday be bigger things, but I think for us in our, in our business, that's, you know, that's put to, to bed. It was a great vehicle 
met so many amazing people. So grateful for that. You know, I, I can, I've got to say every part of my career, I've been so grateful for because um, there are just, you know, remarkable stories out there. And I've been privileged enough to hear lots of different types of stories. So in, in terms of the When You Die project, um, this is one I, I feel like I can package and bring out. Okay, so talk about, uh, so the first film, the, the first interview person that you kind of set up your film, you kind of set up the first two minutes in your kind of statement. Nice B-roll footage, by the way, it's really, really sets up the, the tone, the aesthetic of the film. And then you talk to, I think his name is Anthony Bossis, right? He's like in New York, he's at NYU. So you, you get right to the, to the science, you get right to the, to the logical, like this gentleman is, you know, he's, he basically, this is his life's work. So where did you find him? And where did you, I'm assuming you went to New York City to interview him. Where, how was that? How did you, did you find him to do the, to be part of the film? Um, yeah, well, Tony, Anthony Bossis, um, was part of the, one of these um, psilocybin um experiments like so there was there was a, a period when john hopkins john hopkins uh nyu um and a couple of other institutions were going back and revisiting early um psychedelic experiments from the 40s and 50s and early 60s so it actually goes back the, i mean the the research in psychedelics goes over 100 years something like that yeah uh, and so they're going back to those you know research papers and recreating some of the um experiments that were done and uh so tony had been tony has a background in in hospice works at langoon uh, hospital and in, in at part of the NYU medical complex, and he was really fascinated with people who had existential fear of dying, which is which is where you they're unable to control a person's pain at end of life because they are so terrified of dying, mm. they can't let go, and he really wanted to look into the mechanism. What would can we do to alleviate that? And so they found in these psilocybin trials that actually, you know, one psilocybin trip alleviated this intensely crippling psychological um, experience and allowed people to have a, a peaceful and, and, um, and healthy death. So uh, I found him because I was curious in the research. So I went into looking at the research him and you know had some um shared relationships that i could connect to him through so phil like as you said that's that's lsd magic mushrooms right like just for people who don't know what you're talking about like that's what phil so phil Sybin, it, it means right like they're they're yeah well psilocybin is not the same thing chemically as lsd it's a it's a mushroom, mushroom and yeah. it has these psychotropic effects yeah. on the on the brain yeah um and it's a hallucinatory drug i was just using the commonality of yeah. yeah 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 so um i guess the the term that was coined and i think this was in the 50s was psychedelic yeah so they're using so then that that sort of uh, drug is kind of changing people's and making them the perspective, and that's what he is the the leader of, I guess. That's what his research is. Yeah, that's right. And and the way they talk about it is that it's non ordinary states of consciousness. 
So the way that you and I are talking right now is, you know, our left brain and our right brain have a lot of preconceived ideas about things and we're talking to each other and we're, you know, but if you are in a non-ordinary state, then your left and right hemispheres are actually harmonized in a certain way so that you are, your perceptual ability is widened. And so you don't, it's sort of, you drop all your preconceived little programs and have, um, and perceive the world in a very different way. So non-ordinary consciousness. Have you and, tried, have you tried this yourself? Um, well, I'm of a certain age where that wasn't unusual. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm curious because you're like, I'm, just, I'm not trying to like say. Like, no, I'm, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, I did when I was a lot younger. No, yeah. I'm just like more about like just getting to that, 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 that state like what you just described and kind of like kind of seeing a different perspective on things. That, that's all I was trying to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, yeah. Oh, well, I, yes, I have had that experience. I haven't been through the trials the way it's done in, in a, in a clinical clinical setting. Yeah. Um, you know, but I guess one of the things that, that death and, and these kinds of experiences have in common is that a lot of researchers at end of life that, you know, when they talk to people who've had NDEs or they talk to, you know, people who are, um, uh, we would say hallucinating or dreaming conversations with dead relatives, these kinds of experiences that, that they're, they're realer than real for people. And these, these deathbed experiences um, are also non-ordinary experiences. So, um, uh, so that's, that's this interesting thing mm -hmm. just about, you know, partly what is it like when you are dying? So from the lots from the from the making of the film perspective, you're talking to Anthony. So how long do you have with them? Like how much time do you do you interview? I'm just curious. Oh yeah, well I mean we in that time we uh, we were in his office for a couple hours, but we had a number of conversations off and on before we ever gotcha. walked into his office. So when you're, I mean you're I think that that both of us had to know that we were simpatico. And I think that's part of my process as a filmmaker is that generally speaking, you know, the people that I interview, you know, it's like we feel some kind of a connection, you know, and, and I think the nice thing is, is that it means that I can really explore and they can really also open and, uh, you know, because so many of these people are used to being interviewed with someone who comes, you know, with their, with their notepad that they want an answer to this one, you yeah. know, and, and I have my list of stuff I want to explore and I've done all the research, but I'm really there to have a conversation. And that's, that's it. So it does take trust building. You just answered my next question because it's, you can tell that everybody you interviewed, there's uh you got a lot out of them and there's a, there's, there's a comfort factor that they have. And that's, I was just curious what your, your, your kind of like professional kind of, uh, but you answered that question because yeah, because it's the, that's the key to your, to your movie, right? Like you, your these interview subjects are bringing your, are, are telling your story. So you basically, so there, and then, so then basically you have to be a, a very good interviewer and I guess you are because that's how you describe it. So you kind of, you're not looking for certain answers. You're looking to have a, have a conversation. Right. And at the same time you want them to be, to trust you, I guess. Right. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Well, and it has to be mutual, I think, but something I'll just say about process 
uh, because a lot of filmmakers have different different processes is that when you're working with your pre-interviewing meeting and greeting stuff you don't ask the questions you're going to ask on camera because what happens is somebody thinks that I already know the ant know what they're going to say. So it has to be a fresh conversation. So I don't go into a lot of that stuff in advance so that when we get there, it is a fresh and they, and we really are exploring and they don't feel like I already told you this and you already know it or anything like that. It, it really is a, I don't know. And I'm really curious mm-hmm. kind of a conversation. So that that's just a process thing that, you know, differs from documentary person to documentary person. Yeah, no, it's a hundred percent. And so like, like, that's what I was curious. Cause that's, you chose to start your film in your trilogy, I guess, cause you are making a trilogy with, uh, you call him Tony, uh, Tony Bosses, Anthony Bosses, because he's, Bosses. so basically he's, is it, so he's like, he's kind of like setting the tone of what you're going to tell them the rest of the film, I guess. Right. So, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so he's like, so, so the other, so how about the other people? You just, like you said, it's like, I guess it's a combination of like people you're meeting within your seminars and then also, I guess the, your professional kind of role that you live in and kind of like looking for the best people to interview. Yeah, well, certainly from the, you know, the day job kind of perspective, I didn't find anybody in that work that I interviewed for the When You Die project. It was more just that I had delved into all this research and books. And, you know, there's so many ways you can deep dive on the internet these days and talking to people and other people will go, oh, did you hear about so-and-so and have you, you know, and it's just a long, you're just chasing uh, a, a stream of information and then certain things just, oh, that looks interesting. I want to go talk to that person. And I, I talked to way more people than I actually interviewed, you know, and that always happens. And yeah, that always happens, course. you know, and, and sure, there are people that I really wished that I could have included, but it didn't quite fall into my work travel plans. Mm-hmm. Um so I guess that's where you kind of say within a production, there's certain gifts of a production, you know, like you, there are things that come along the way that, that you didn't anticipate or doors will open and others will close. And that they, those are things you don't particularly have control over, you know, unless you've got millions of dollars. Sure. Um, and so that's in, in a way that there's a living quality to making a, a film like this, where so many voices are, are present because, um, you know, there's a certain magic of how you, how you meet those people and, and who you know and you really want, but then that can't happen for whatever reason. I'm really happy with all the people that I did actually finally get to uh, interview on camera. I, I think they're, they go remarkably well together and they don't necessarily know each other. No, that's a good, well, yeah. And the staging is, is terrific. I will just one last, the person you, your, your camera operator did a fantastic job staging everybody uh, perfectly. It's like the way, even with the locations, of course, you got some books in the back background. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> in post, I was like, do you think we could green screen that? <laughs> no, it's terrific. It's like, it's as well. One, one's like an office and one's more of a library, I guess. Right. The other gentleman that you interviewed. So tell me about the animation uh, near the end of the film. Uh, fantastic. Really well hand-drawn animation, black and white. Nicely done. I know it does. It takes a long time to do this. Who did your animation for you? Uh, yeah, Sarita McNeil, 
And uh, she was, again, kind of just another, um, you know, through a certain person, you know, I met her and she just happened to have left one job and was available to do some work. And Sarita hand drew everything, it was all hand drawn. It was um, uh, uh, a, real, a real labor of love for her. I think everyone who worked on the project um, felt a strong connection to the material and the people that we were meeting and all of that. And Sarita was definitely, she just, she just got it. You know, she just was, was right there with it. And, you know, we talked a lot about kind of style and tone. And I, I felt like, you know, I've seen a lot of films, you know, say about near death experiences where you've got the classic tunnel and you've got, you know, a lot of, you know, I'd say sort of cheesy approach to what's going on, but I didn't want it all to be talking heads and I didn't want it to all be pastoral shots mm. of nature. You know, I wanted, um, I wanted to sort of um, draw out the storytelling uh, still allowing the audience to see the picture in their own head, but to give them somewhere to go. You no, know? I understand and, what you're saying. Yeah. It's like a different realm, I guess. Right. Because yeah. You're showing like well, um, you're showing like the the B-roll. You're showing like the nature, and then you're showing the interviews. And this is a different. You're taking them to somewhere else, I guess, emotionally, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So the production rule was kind of well, certainly, and in the realm, the production rule was: if someone is telling a story, mm. then we want to animate it. Oh, if someone is 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 telling their story, then we want them on camera. Gotcha. 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 That, that's it. Yeah. Okay. So, so then tell me about, okay. So uh, did you buy up all like the other footage? Like, did you buy the B-roll footage and then kind of like. <laughs> no, we shot it? almost all of it ourselves. Oh, really? I okay. shot. Yeah. 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 We, we shot um, really 90% of it. That's amazing. Okay. That's it. Then it's yours. So you, you own it. Oh Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's even better. Okay, so then, so then you, you shot a lot of footage, and then I guess in editing, you got to figure out who, like, who was your editing partner in, in the process. Uh, my my business and creative partner is also my my editor and his son Kevin. So they we kind of do a, a trade off, you know, of of moving them in and out, and I would work with both of them, but I would be in the edit suite the entire time. I, I had a feeling that's why I was asking your your partners in crime. So then he kind of worked with the story with you and the structure with you, and and and, I, and then I guess the the son did some some like assistant editing. I'm assuming. Yeah, he did, and uh, also both of them shot a lot of the interviews. Oh wow! So okay. you know, so we really we all well, James especially, you know, my my business partner we were, we've been through the whole thing from beginning to end, you know, it was, well, what do you want to do next? And I came up with this crazy idea. Let's do something about death. And he's like, okay. And so from the very beginning, we've been, you know, building all of it. And Kevin was present for almost all of the interviews, but not all of them. Um, so everybody knew the material, but, you know, I was really the only one who had the through line. Yeah. <laughs> But it just it just meant that when I'm going in one direction, then they can go, well, what about, you know, what Penny said over here? Should we, you know, so so there was a lot of collaboration that way. I mean, no one person really makes a film, right? Of course it's not, no. Like, it, it, it is, it's not very good. So it was only one person. So you need a collaboration. So, but speaking of that, you, uh, 
you also was the narr- you were the narrator of the film as well. Did you always want to be the narrator or is that something that just happened? No, I absolutely didn't want to be the narrator. And from the very beginning, I struggled with uh, the through line that holds it all together. Okay. You know, and I, I, I knew, you know, as someone who used to commission documentaries as a broadcaster, I knew given the film material that the filmmaker had to narrate it, be part of it, you know, or find some other, you know, device. Mm-hmm. But as, as a person, I was like, I don't get in front of the camera. I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person, I, you know, and it took me a long time you know, to actually give up on that and realize that, you know, my motivation for wanting to do this were a lot of my own personal stories of uh, around death and dying. And, you know, we got into some of that with the Q&A that, that we did um, in the blog. But um, I so I realized that, you know, it was the kindest thing to do is to, to be the narrator and to share those stories and to, you know, let my own questions move the storyline forward. Um, And I also felt pretty strongly that um, for this film and future films, not trying to tell people what to think. Mm. I'm trying to present a whole bunch of different ideas and let people make their own decisions. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to share what my conclusion is, but I don't, I don't want, I want it to be open-ended for people to experience. So what is so, your conclusion? Well, my conclusion <laughs> in, in the realm um, was that there is some kind of continuity of consciousness, that it's not game over. Okay. And that's kind of what I suspected going into it. But after really being able to, um, I mean, there's a lot of things you don't see in the film that were part of my research. You know, I went to, um, uh, the N International Conference on Consciousness, and this brings together the big brains from all over the world, institutions like MIT and uh, Stanford, and uh, I can't even think of all the places, but it's an international collection. Some people are Nobel Prize winners. It's, it's a really high-level conference. And I was talking to a lot of those guys who'd been studying it in a hard science way, like mathematician Sir Roger Penrose. He did all the mathematics on black holes, and you know he's and he's in, he's now wow he's got to be close to eighty now. And uh, and I and I asked him, you know, like, well, what do you think? You know, and he said, well, when I was a young man starting out, um, I would say, no way. No way consciousness continues. He said, at this point in my career, and what he's really concentrated on right now is looking at the deep math behind that question, which I can't even fathom what that really means, but that's what he's doing. Um, He said, yes, I believe that consciousness is innate, that um, uh, that it is, uh, that there's consciousness. uh, It's more like that the brain is like a radio receiver and picks it up. So he's one of the smartest people. He's one of the smartest people in the world. And uh, he comes to that conclusion. And of course, he was like, it's all he always he started as a skeptic, or just like a non like, because it's like, this is crazy, because I'm a, I'm a man of science, I'm a man of math. So there's, there's no logic behind this. 
So then right. he, that's his conclusion. So that says a lot, basically. I'm just kind of rounding up what you're... you're yeah, you're, so that's sort of, that's his personal view. He, he yeah. said, like, if you asked me, you know, professionally on a stage, I would have to go through all of my math and where sure. I'm trying to go right now, right? And right. I, you know, I sat in this this 10-day conference or however long it felt like eternity. And most people won't understand what they're talking about. I barely did, you know, and I, I think I came, you know, with a real good spirit of, sticking it in but it's it's deep deep science so yeah. couldn't go there but i think that that what it really meant was that the, the, these people that i was meeting um who were not crazy people that were that were well-educated people and they're saying you know i'm not a religious person or i am a religious person but in my i don't bring it to my work or all these different types of people but they felt there was some kind of continuity, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then I had to just feel what was my own intuition about it. Do I believe that because they said that, or do I believe that because when I was a young girl, my great aunt died and I knew she had died and nobody told me about it. Yeah. That's another thing, right? Like I, I get that. I, I get like from a personal perspective, you kind of like you it's not it's something different it's like you you feel something you don't know what it means and then it happens and it kind of scares the crap out of you or at least at the beginning and then you're like then you're like what is that all about like what's what's going on there like what's that what's 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 the energy that's going around in my in my life that's like a whole other film i guess too right <laughs> there's so many films here. yeah no no but I, but I get what you're saying like I'm not I'm like I'm because I just like I'm just telling you I, I totally understand what you're saying it's like but that can't be you can't like I like I said I alluded in the beginning it's like certain religions have tried to like put that answer into a ball and kind of conclude something but it can't be concluded and I even what you're saying in the film um it answers that question I just want to jump back to I know I've had you for a bit I just want to ask you one last thing because you said in the blog interview that that you went through like your mom passed away unfortunately when you're young you went through other deaths and that sort of was your kind of motivational factor to do this film and I think there's a lot of commonality I think a lot of people watch your films have experienced grief like uh, horrific grief with either the loved ones or a husband or a mother or, or a child and they they're, they're trying to come to an understanding conclusion of like why this possibly could happen, I guess. Right. And I think that there's a lot of like, and I think that your films and I think even your motivation starts with that, I guess. Right. It's like, we have to figure out why this, why I have this immense pain and then we're like, what happened to my loved one, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I, well, I think the other piece of that is that, you know, when I was young and went through these three significant deaths, um, because at that time, especially I was 19 at, at the start of this, this less than three year period and three big losses, um, death was really, really taboo. It was just not something that, that you talk about in polite society. And uh, I was really thrust into a super deep grief state, having, having lost my mother, my very dearest best friend and been in this really terrible car accident and um, lost someone there. So uh, people knew I had had these experiences, 
but it, they just couldn't relate to me. It was like, oh my God, like, you know, they just would panic because they didn't know what to say. You know, here's someone who's in so much pain and they have no idea what to say. So it'd be a whole lot better to stay as far away from her as possible. So I felt like an outcast. And that went on for a number of years and it became very difficult for me to finally integrate all of those deaths. And so really, I think that a big part of my motivation for this was, so no goes through that. So we can, we can recognize, you know, that, that grief is part of life, that it's a journey. People can learn how to just say simple things like, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. I don't know what I can do for you. And I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm here if you want to talk. Mm. And just simple things like that. And then once you know what to say, then you can let that warmer feeling that you have with your friend flow back into your life again. Like, mm. you know, you feel cared for. They feel like they're caring for you. You know, there's, there's something happening instead of just avoiding the subject, avoiding people and being an outcast. So that, I think that that's, that's really part of my desire to normalize this conversation of death and dying because, you know, look, at we've just been through or going through a pandemic and a lot of people have died. And now we really have to face it on a big societal level. So I, I feel like the timing here is good for these films too. And, and it's something that, that there's an opportunity too, because it's like from just from a uh, business standpoint, because it's like, it seems to be, you, you seem to be onto something, meaning that that this this subject is is everybody's thinking about it, but nobody's really kind of talking about it. As you say, it's not really out there in the mainstream per se. It's not like a huge subject yet. And I think that you're you're I think you like everybody's thinking of that. And unfortunately, people do grow through grief a lot, and they they lose a close loved one a loved one earlier than they think, or or something suddenly, I guess too, right? And that's mm -hmm. puts a shock to your system, and you don't. You're trying to figure out why, from emotional and spiritual and a logical standpoint, like what's the what's what happened here? Like why, what happened? I guess right. Right, right, absolutely. And I think that in the, the I guess the, the danger could be is that people want answers. They want to feel that a medium or whatever is gonna that the person's still alive somehow. I guess right, but they're like you know what I mean. Maybe alive's not the best word, but they're still around somewhere. I guess right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is certainly, you know, there are people that definitely that's, that's their belief. That's how they feel. And, you know, I can't discredit anybody's, you know, how they feel about those things, but I think it helps everyone if you're grieving that, that you can talk about it, yeah. you know, and if you can talk about it, then, you know, maybe you don't have to have all the answers. No, I think that's, that's, yeah, I think what you just said is, is, uh, I think that, cause I think that that's the problem, even with me personally, is that you kind of want to have an answer and then, but it's, I think you're right. I think it's just, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's not, it's more of a discussion and then that makes you feel a little bit better or make, makes you feel a little bit under, I guess you want to be understood, I guess. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. No, I appreciate your time. And uh, I'm glad like, uh, you alluded before the, my press record, but you go, you did get uh, the podcast, uh, sort of the um, audience feedback video. What was your reaction to them? What did you think that they had? How would you, what did you feel about what the audience had to say about your film from our festival? Oh, I, well, I loved, loved, loved um, hearing the feedback. 
Um, I liked the diversity of voices, really loved the diversity of voices. Um, this is a, a time, especially when getting out and watching your films with a live audience and doing Q&A after and all that. You know, I've done a lot of Zoom Q&A and that's really great. And I do enjoy that, but being able to really see people's faces like that and talking right into their computers and saying, you know, their reaction to the film. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm a filmmaker. I want, I want feedback. <laughs> <laughs> But they really, they seem to really, like, and you said you talked about the diversity that with the feedback, like the kind of like the best of what we send you is that people really understood your film. They really got it and they really loved your film. And if it, it like, I want to point out that it flies, like it's 52 minutes. It, it feels like it's 20 minutes. It's like, it just like, it just all of a sudden the movie's over. Oh, like it's like, and it's like, and then it's like, of course you have the great, like, you know, like uh, what do you call it? Back to the Future? It, to be continued. Uh, I'm like referencing the my '80s uh, background. <laughs> Basically, you have the Back to the Future. It's like it's like here's the website. There's more to come, and it's like oh, then you got you grabbed your audience. It's like oh, now we want to see what's next. I guess right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I figured you get the Back to the Future reference. So oh, of course. <laughs> Because that's what, yeah. So it's like, yeah, then people go to your website and they can see more. And I think that's what you said you want. You just want, right now, you just want people to watch your films, I guess, right? Absolutely. Well, let's help out with any way I can. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. You wrote a great film. I want to point out too that my, my wife uh, is a huge fan of yours. And uh, that's probably the reason why we're talking right now. She loves your film. She loves what you're doing. And she she couldn't be more happier that I'm talking to you right now. So oh, good. Well, thank her for me, will you? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>